Thanks for listening to Hey Kerwin. If you would like your questions answered, don't forget to use the hashtag Hey Kerwin on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So, first question is from Lucy MW. Lucy MW? Yeah, and she says, how do you keep space for unexpected events in a tight schedule? Flexibility and adaptability. Like, I don't keep space for anything in... Well, no, I, there's a... It's, kind of, it's a catch-22. I actually, My schedule is, in nine times out of ten, it is full up to the max. Um, however, what I also understand is, you know, when situations and circumstances arise that require me to focus on them, then I just deploy. You know, I just do what's required to focus on the things that are most important. However, that's being said, you've got to be able to identify the difference between a real emergency and a fake emergency. A real emergency is something that is of genuine consequence that requires our attention. A fake emergency is just something that makes a lot of noise. You know, and so being able to actually distinguish between the two is actually the biggest is probably the, the biggest skill that's required when it comes to adapting your schedule to situations and circumstances that arise when you least expect it. But the reality is, you know, you've got to be able to adapt. You know, the person with the least flexibility is the one that will break first. You know, so the more flexibility you have, the less chance you're actually going to have of breaking in a situation where you need to become strong. And by the way, flexibility produces strength. The more flexible you are, the stronger you become because the more adaptable you are to stressful situations. So my advice is it's not a question of not being flexible. It's a question of being flexible to the right things and being able to identify what is the right thing and what is the wrong thing in order to show flexibility to adapt to situation circumstances or your diary in situations like that. Benjamin uh, Scaplin asks, what is a passion you do to relieve some stress of a tiring or stressful day that you look forward to outside of work uh, with or without your family? Uh, well, two things. First things first, uh, my number one, like one of the things that absolutely zens me out is playing with my son. I abs- but you guys are probably sick to fucking death of hearing about this. Uh, I love my son. I adore my son. Uh, I would eat his feet if they were on the menu. He's just an incredible individual who just lights up my life and he just has the ability to make the rest of the world just you know, seem insignificant and not matter, especially when there's high stress around me. Uh, but the second thing that I do, uh, actually there's three things. The second thing would be meditation. And for me, you know, meditation is literally like, um, you know, if, if, uh, if, if you consider things that are stressful as an ice cube, you know, meditation to me is like the hairdryer. It has the ability just to melt stress away so effortlessly and easily, you know, it's not funny. And the third thing is calisthenics. Like for me, I love calisthenics training. I love body weight training. I love the flexibility of the body, the strength of the body. The co- and the cool, man, you know, the great thing is about uh, calisthenics is it's really an efficient and effective way of training because you're, um, you're never training any part of the body in isolation. In nine out of 10 cases, you're training the body, you know, as a, as a complete unit or at least, you know, a, a huge component of that unit together. Uh, and so it's a great way to burn a lot of energy in a very short period of time that will help with generate, you know, um, with recovering and rehabilitating from stressful events. Yeah, so for me, it's my son, it's meditation, it's calisthenics, and yeah, that makes life so much easier. Give it a shot. Uh, Michelle Walter asks, what are some of your best aha moments in psychology that changed everything for you? Look, I'll keep it really simple. Uh, First things first, the understanding and the awareness of the actual control we have to choose the language that we use that we think about on a regular basis and then seeing the direct correlation over time between the thought processes that we have that we repeat on a regular basis and the behaviours that they produce because there is a direct correlation between information in programming, what, you know, what information you put into a computer will determine how that operating system will behave uh, and your psychology is your operating system and it is hard-coded 
it is wired, it is programmed as a result of the information that we feed it. But most people are fed information from their environment and that's the information that they hang on to and they repeat that code repetitively for the rest of their life thinking that they, you know, that they are at the whim of the universe, that they, are the, you know, that, that, that they have no control. But once you understand, you can actually have um, you know, total control and a very, in, in a very deliberate and precise manner to choose the thoughts that you think that actually create the behaviors that you want, that when done repetitiously over time become habitual, that produce autonomous behavior, you can create anything you want. The second biggest aha was the understanding of the relationship between stress and stupidity and understanding stress and emotions make people stupid. And when you understand that there is, you know, there's incredible technology out there, especially when you understand how to regulate stress through the youth or through the use of general awareness through the use of breathing, through the use of you know, managing the meaning of stressful events to, see, to recreate um, the, the origins of the stimulus as being not one that is stressful, that one is actually um, you know, produces happiness or produces you know, high levels of performance and strength. You know, that for me was, was fundamental because I was someone that used to experience very high levels of anxiety at the drop of the hat. But when I started looking at the, the, stimula the, the, the things that would trigger and stimulate the stress and the anxiety and I started to breathe deeply and then repattern the meanings of the situations to create different meanings, ones that weren't stressful. You know, now in most situations, stressful situations aren't stressful. They're actually empowering because I've reassociated and re recoded a new meaning towards it. So yeah, number one, the language that we use. Number two, understanding how to regulate stress and emotion. You Know, through the use of breath, through the use of uh, managing meaning, and, and yeah, through the use of just becoming a lot more conscious and aware. Yeah, it was massive for me. Logan Gordon 2016 asks, how do I experience meaning and satisfaction in my accomplishments rather than just continuing to my next goal? And that was on Instagram. Pursue the things that you love. Like the, like the reason that a lot of people you know, get to the end of a goal and they go, well, what else? Is because in, in some cases the, the goal was uh, a destination. You know, and this is what we've got to understand, like, like true fulfillment in life doesn't come as a result of chasing destinations. You know, because what you'll find is, well, if I'll, I'll be happy once I have a million bucks, you'll get to a million bucks, you'll be happy for two weeks, and you'll be like, okay, well, now what? Now I'm miserable. I'll be happy once I meet the right person. I'll be happy once this. I'll be, you know, if, if you treat life as a destination sport, you'll be experiencing you know, long periods of struggle that will be met with short periods of elation and joy and happiness. Whereas when we start understanding that real happiness is, is a journey sport, you know, and that's why I love calisthenics, that's why I love business, because with the right mindset, we start to understand it's journey work. And journey work is pursuing the things that we love so that we can be happy every day, and not just once in a while when we achieve a destination. So for me, stop focusing on the outcomes that create meaning and start focusing on the process that creates the meaning. Start focusing on the things that you love that produce the meaning that you're looking for and become very conscious of the relationship between the two. So you know, my best piece of advice is find out why you're here, what is your reason to be on this planet, what is your purpose, connect with that, find with that, and you'll have everything you've ever, ever needed and ever wanted. Jonathan Michael Monson asks, my business is screaming at me to expand, but I don't have funds. My body can also only keep up for so long. I feel like I need to slow down or I'm gonna break myself. What are your thoughts? Look, slow is fast. Sometimes we do need to slow down in order to speed up. But if your business is, what did he say? My business is growing so fast. Yeah, he said my business is screaming at me to expand, but he doesn't have the funds. Well, yeah, I would really, I'd really challenge what, your, what that means by your business is screaming at you to grow because if your business is screaming at you to grow then that would assume that there's a level of um, sales that is coming in that is producing that noise. Uh, so my advice is look at what's making the noise because unless it is sales that is producing that noise, your business ain't screaming at you to grow, pal. You know, the only thing that really should determine your ability to scale is cash flow and because scaling is expensive. It requires, it requires capital unless of course you know, you've stumbled across, 
you know, some incredible, you know, idea or some incredible piece of software that requires, you know, money in order to scale, in order for it to become revenue positive, then you need to go down the investment avenue. But I'm going to, I'm going to assume that, you know, by the language of what you're using, that, you know, there's a 99.99% chance this is not one of those situations. Whereas you've actually got to fundamentally go back and look at where is the business based on cash flow. Because if the cash is flowing in and you're telling me the cash is flowing in, but you don't have the cash to grow or the cash to scale, then two things are happening. Number one, you're either spending that money on shit or number two, your profit, your, your product ain't profitable or number three, you're actually not selling anything in the first place. So you need to get really clear on where that noise is coming from because if your business is screaming at you to growth, you know, the only, the only area that that noise should be coming from is through the demand from the market that is being produced as a result of the sales that are being made. And unless it is commercially viable, then you don't grow. And if it's not commercially viable, you don't grow because if you do grow and it's not commercially viable, you're just creating much bigger headaches at scale. You know, I'd much rather have a $100,000 business that produces a, you know, a 75% profit margin than a $10 million business that is working on, you know, maybe a fucking half a percent or a 2% profit margin because that's an enormous amount of risk to bear for very little reward reward and return. And you've got to start looking at what is the you know, what is the reward for what is the reward? What is the return based on the risk that I'm carrying from a revenue perspective and a profitability perspective and also an energetic perspective based on the amount of work that I have to do. So my advice is get very clear because if your business is screaming at you to grow based on what you're telling me there if you don't have the cash you're listening to the wrong mechanisms you're measuring the wrong markers you know you need to really get back to to what really matters most when it comes to scaling which is cash flow. Make sales, produce cash flow, reinvest whatever is left above the basic cost of living into growth and you'll grow. It's not actually that stressful. The biggest thing is actually getting yourself to the point where you're producing that revenue to grow and make sure that cash is flowing in the right direction. Not into holidays, not into cars, not into, you know, fancy clothes. You know, put the money in the right area and your business will grow. Focus on sales. I wonder if he was talking And about delivering great value. I wonder if you're talking about key person risk. Like, I feel like I need to slow down on a break. Going well, break look, myself. there could be an element of key person risk there. But, you know, if you're working so hard, but you're not making money, it's more than key person risk. It's, yeah. core, it's commercial risk. Because if you're working really hard and you're not making enough money to, to invest in scaling so that you can work less, there's so many things about that scenario that just don't make any sense whatsoever commercially. You know, uh, you know you've got to slow down to go fast. Slow is fast. You know, that was... Um, a Navy SEAL that I trained with um, when he was teaching me, you know, special weapons and tactics taught me that. He says, you've got to slow down, Cohen, if you want to move quickly. You know, you want to slow down to focus on the things that are imperative so that you can get those things right repetitiously over time so that those things become habitual, so that the behaviors become autonomous under pressure. Um, and so for me, you know, if you're so maxed out and so stressed out, but you're not producing any revenue, again, what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on the right effort and the your effort in the right areas to produce revenue, you know, or to deliver value to produce revenue in order to produce the cash flow and the profits required to scale? Mm, something's not right with that scenario. Gregory Robinson asks, hey, Greg. how do you move from motivated in the moment to consistent commitment? Uh, look, that's a great question. How do you stay? For, how do you move from motivated in the moment to consistent? Like situational motivation is typically circumstantial because it's based on some form of an external stimulus. You know, because someone's cheering me on, or because I've made a little bit of money. You know, the real power in motivation is by making it an inside job. My motivation to me. You know, consistent motivation at the highest level that's required to succeed in any pursuit, whether it be, you know, business, fucking uh, relationships or, you know, even religion, you know, if that's your game, is to find this internal fuel, to find this internal fire, to find something that when it lights you up, when it's ignited, that you have extended levels of energy that is required to work for extended periods of time, which is often required to be able to then recover for extended periods of time, which is required to achieve what it is that you want. 
you know, for me, situational and circumstantial motivation is one of those things whereby, you know, it's destination based. Well, I'll be motivated when I achieve that, you achieve that, you've got a level of motivation. And this to me is a purpose question. How do I connect with something greater than making money? How do I connect with something greater than anything that I'm doing? So regardless of, you know, whatever's happening on the outside world, as long as when I'm doing this, I'm pumped, I'm juiced, I've got all the energy in the world that's required to do that, then, you know, business is done, the deal is done. You know, for me, make it an inside job. Stop making it an outside job. Focus on the things that light you up internally that when you're doing them externally, just provide more fuel for the fire. Uh, and then just adapt to the situation that you're in. But make it an inside job. Stop making destination. Get clear on what your purpose is uh, and focus on the journey. Jennifer Clavreau. Uh, I hope I got that right. Sorry, Jen. Sorry, um, Jen. How do we stop oscillating between our old identity that didn't serve us anymore and our new one? I keep yo-yoing between the two and it's uncomfortable. She asked that on Facebook. Look, I get it. Like, you know... Uh, to me, identity is a product of three things. It's a product of the language that we use on a repetitious basis. We'll produce a set of beliefs, okay, situational, circumstantial, or otherwise. Those beliefs will then determine a set of values, which will become motives, the reasons that we do and the reasons that we don't do things. And when you combine you know, our, the language that we use on a regular basis with the set of beliefs that we hold, you know, global or otherwise, with the values that are the things that are the reasons why we do those things, you combine those three things together, you have an identity. So for me, the way that you maintain a consistent identity is by being consistent with the language that you use, by focusing on the beliefs that, 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 you know, that support and f sustain you, and by very, being very clear on your values, which are the things that light you up, the, the motive. A value to me is a motive, it's a reason to do something. So when you're clear on the reasons why you do things and you're clear and why they light you up and you stop doing the things that don't light you up that actually light you down then to me it becomes quite a consistent thing the second thing i'd suggest is be very cautious of your environment be cautious of the people that you're spending time with because when you spend time with certain people there's a probability that they could you know if they come from your older life and they're used to seeing you in your old identity the more times that you see them then the more expectation they'll have for you to behave in the ways that they have seen in days gone by that will in some cases create an expectation and the pygmalion effect states that when there are people around us that expect certain things we will oftentimes rise to those or lower ourselves to those expectations in order to produce the result that is expected from us. So be very conscious of your psychology, but also be very conscious of your environment and the people you're spending time with, because they will fundamentally, your herd will have a huge implication and a huge impact on how you see yourself and how you identify with self, which will determine how you identify and how you connect with others and the environment around you. Get clear on those things. You'll be sweet. You'll be sorted. That was episode 35 of the hashtag HeyKerwin show. So if you want to get your questions in, use the hashtag HeyKerwin. But the question of the day is, what is the number one thing that when you focus on it, it produces incredibly high levels of motivation for you that makes you feel like you are so empowered that you can conquer the world? What is the number one thing that when you focus it on, it gives you the juice, gives you the fuel, gives you the fire? Let me know. I'm very curious. That was episode 35 of the hashtag HeyKerwin Show. Do me a favor. So hi to your mum for me. Till next time. See you then. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Hey Kerwin, where you have the questions and I give the answers.